In the history of this business, no one has ever been able to do what I did. I know 1% of the wealthiest people in the entire world. Welcome to Heidi World. In the 1990s, LA girl Heidi Fleiss became one of the most famous people in the world. Her trial shook up Hollywood and threatened to expose all kinds of secrets about famous actors, film tycoons, real estate barons, and corrupt law enforcement, all while the O.J. Simpson trial was happening in the courtroom next door. We'll talk about the genesis of the 24-hour content-oriented news cycle, fame as social currency, and how Heidi Fleiss pioneered building a personal successful brand long before the digital age made it mandatory. Heidi World has quotes ripped directly from contemporary 1990s news media, stars Annie Hamilton as the voice of Heidi Fleiss, and features an all-star guest cast of your favorite podcasters as the characters populating the Heidi World landscape. Listen to the whole story on Heidi World, the Heidi Fleiss story, and the secret history of L.A. Starting on April 11th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sex sales, crime pays, cops lie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm your host, Leslie Lee III. Today, I'm joined by special guest Molly Lambert to talk about her amazing podcast, Heidi World, all about the Heidi Fly story and the decadent late 80s, early 90s. I'm so excited to have you here today, Molly. So Molly, for my listeners who don't know, who may be too young, who don't remember how huge this story was at the time, I mean, it was just everywhere. But so much of what I remember I discovered from listening to your show was wrong, was the wrong narrative. You offered a compelling counter narrative in Heidi World, the Heidi Fleiss story, which again, everyone has to check out. Can you tell me what, what was the basic narrative and how you upended that with your research? So I am from Los Angeles. And so the Heidi Fleiss scandal broke when I was a kid and it was a big, huge deal in LA and then eventually everywhere else. But yeah, basically she was this girl from LA, from Los Feliz, uh, kind of like a upper middle class Jewish girl who started running uh, an escort service, a high end escort service. And uh, everybody in Hollywood was using it. And she got busted for various reasons and then went to trial. And, and then all the this- powerful men that were were her Johns were arrested as well, correct? No, that's oh, the part shocking. that didn't happen. But yeah, I think I was just like, I was sort of, you know, forming my ideas about like power and sex and money and all these things when this happened. And it really, I think I was just like also kind of obsessed with like fairness and and that seems so blatantly unfair. 
um, what was happening to her. And, and it just made me think about all these things for the first time of like, well, wait, why, why can't you sell your body consensually? It was a few years after the LA riots. And so it also, the Heidi Fleiss trial happened at the same time, like exactly the same time, essentially, as the OJ Simpson trial. And so there were like these two big trials in LA that seemed kind of like they were meant to kind of like reify the cops uh, as this powerful, you know, justice seeking force. And instead, everybody sided with Heidi. You know, there was this split of like who, who sided with Heidi and OJ and who sided with the cops. Because, you know, the OJ trial also was like very just eye opening for me as a kid, you know, because it's like you're hearing one thing from the news and then you're seeing something totally different from how people in the city are actually reacting to what's going on. It's just a fascinating story. And I really wanted to bring it back up because what I found out was like everybody my age and older knew about Heidi, but like nobody younger than me had ever heard this story seemingly. And so when all the OJ stuff was kind of resurfacing, I thought, oh, well, you know, somebody should do Heidi Fly snacks. There's just a wealth of information and connections and newsreels and clips and you dive in and there's so many connections to these incredibly powerful people None of whom got in any trouble at whatsoever, barely even got bad press uh, from it while Heidi Fleiss became this, you know, poster girl for, you know, the decadent, you know, late 80s, early 90s the obsession with wealth and sex and power. And it's finally gone too far because it's uh, this big scandal. And this one woman is kind of made to be uh, the, sin, the sin bearer for all of that, while even though she was involved with some incredibly powerful people uh, in Hollywood and what she was doing was probably some of, as we certainly know now, uh, some of the least uh, gross stuff that was happening in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And that's what I, I, you know, I knew the story superficially. I knew that she was in trouble for selling sex to powerful men. I hadn't even really remembered that the reason it became such a big story was because people at movie studios were allegedly using studio money to buy prostitutes for people who worked at the studio. And what I learned from doing this podcast is that that has just been happening the entire time. That is just part of the history of Hollywood. The way that sex and Hollywood are so twinned together it's like yeah hollywood sells sex and so just this idea of like okay well you can sell sex you can sell like a beautiful actress's sex appeal and body but like if somebody actually sells their body like for some reason that's not okay um and that just seemed like ridiculous to me and also very you know misogynist or it was just like well Everything in society is about like how if you're a woman, you have to be sexy and you have to be like, you know, fuckable. And so then to be like, but you can't profit off it. Other people can profit off it, but not you. If you profit off it, there's something wrong with it. You know, Heidi was a bit of an entrepreneur. She started off as a high price call girl and she had a bit of a falling out with her madam at the time and decided to go into business for herself and also teach the game to some other women. She took her cut, but these women were making exorbitant uh, amounts of money uh, while working for Heidi. 
it didn't fit this narrative that you always see in mainstream media where like sex work is bad, sex work leads to ruin and death and all these horrible things. And like, you know, if a woman does sex work, she's like degrading herself in some way. It's like none of that is true. And so they kept trying to like bend the story towards that, towards like, oh, you know, Heidi is this bad person and bad things are going to happen to her because, you know, women can't, you know, people can't do this. Um, And the fact that like people were just making money and having fun and doing drugs, but not like dying, you know, and and essentially that she was, you know, I'm not going to say she was running the business ethically, because it depends who you talk to, you know. But the way she presented it was like, well, I'm not going to run this business like a pimp. She ran it like a Hollywood agent. That's honestly what she did. She took the Hollywood model and applied it to sex work. She was like, she take a 40% cut and she sends you on gigs. Because CAA uh, used that same model when for their actresses and Harvey Weinstein, allegedly, um, according to everybody you ask. I mean, that's the thing is like when you look into how the sort of actual sketchy stuff that people, that producers especially, have been doing throughout the entire history of the entertainment business, using power, using the promise of fame and money to leverage sex out of people, to do casting couching, stuff like that, stuff that is unethical um selling sex for money isn't bad that's fucking bad what harvey weinstein does is bad and sexually abusive you know it's like that's what also struck me about just the hypocrisy of the whole thing is that these are all guys who were completely you know like exploiting women in the movie industry um you know, Don Simpson, one of the guys who comes a is a big creep who is one of the big clients is like, you know, he was allegedly like f- casting, couching people and filming it for, you know, without their consent, just like all kinds of crazy shit was going on. And, you know, if you listen to Karina Longworth's podcast, you must remember this. It's like Hollywood has been a rape factory for its whole history. The part of Hollywood that is about just like creepy men sexually abusing young women is like that's like part of the business model and so this also happened at a time in hollywood when hollywood was trying to like change allegedly and like not be a rape factory be like we're not we're not the rape factory anymore you know it just feels so much like now it's like this moment where they were like oh no we're not a bad place that's horrible like women and minorities are gonna be in charge now and we're going to tell their stories and we're going to take down this Hollywood madam to show that like Hollywood isn't the sex and drugs place anymore. It's like the wholesome family Hollywood, <laughs> kind of like Las Vegas, kind of like what happened at Vegas in the 90s when they were like, now it's for for families. It's a theme park. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned Vegas because, by as you mentioned in the podcast, like 
people who want to go see a sex worker at this time could just go to Las Vegas as well. Like, so what Heidi was doing in Los Angeles, which was, you know, somehow incredibly illegal and the subject of this massive investigation, if, if it was happening, you know, right down the road, like it would be, you know, more or less legal and like be able to just be out in the open, the kind of absurdity of that. Yeah, I mean, I think just like sex workers' rights um, are, again, just in a very vulnerable place. And I've written a little bit about porn, you know, and I'm from the San Fernando Valley where the porn industry is also from. And so I think these ideas just really stuck with me early on of like women's bodies are so monetized in culture, but, you know, who gets to profit off of it and, and why? And so when I went to the Adult Video News Awards, uh, you know, a few years ago, and wrote about that, I was really interested in because I had this theory, basically, that like, proved out proved to be true, which is like, because there's no money left in porn, because after YouTube basically got invented, and like DVDs stopped being a thing that people bought, and everybody just watches porn for free. It's like, because there's no money in porn, because there's no profit left, now women and minorities are in charge of porn the people that are left are the people that really just want to fucking make good porn you know and care about porn as an art form and know that there's no money to be made but it's like the way you make money now is the way you do it for any job which is like the the gig economy of like you also have a podcast you also have a clothing line you also have like that was what i learned from talking to porn performers was like None of them were making money off their main job. They were all had like five jobs. And I was like, wait, me too. You know, this is like how we all function now. And so I think sex workers are really always kind of on the bleeding edge of like capitalism. When you go to the porn awards, it's like all the best director nominees are women because performers end up directing, you know, and like, why can't women be in charge of their own objectification was kind of like just something I always have been thinking about. I tried to watch the TV movie based on Heidi Fleiss's life, uh, starring uh, Meadow oh, Soprano. Oh, Jamie Lynn Siegler. <laughs> with Jamie Lee Lynn Siegler. And I actually cut it off because after listening to your show, I was like, this movie is not high class enough for Heidi. This is not her <laughs> controlling her narrative. If you're going to tell her story, which is a, you know, a, a interesting big time story that a lot of people made a lot of money off of, why do you make, you know, this kind of cheap, you know, Skinamax movie that's about, you know, like 84 minutes long. It's not really a, has a good cast, but other than that, doesn't really try to uh, make it, make this, this quintessentially Hollywood story into like the cinema that it should be. That's uh, why I wanted to make a podcast too, is I was just like, I can't believe nobody's done it yet. I guess I have to do it. Because it's such a great story. But I think I also realized from, from research, I was like, oh, they buried this on purpose. This was like, nobody wants this to resurface because a lot of these guys are still working. Um, you know, and the ones that we could really name as clients are mostly dead. Um, the ones who aren't dead are John Peters, who isn't dead, but is like essentially dead in Hollywood because he hasn't made a movie in a long time and, you know, has no clout left. And John Peters, uh, the producer of a couple of Superman movies, and he's got to start in hairdressing. 
Yes, he was a hairdresser. He's like a real scammer from Van Nuys. I just like, I love him kind of. He's a bad guy, but um, really charming. And, you know, dated Barbara Streisand and then parlayed that into producing A Star is Born. I just also just reading about all these producers, it's like so many of them started as like criminals or just like street hustlers. So the fact that they all were drawn to Heidi, who was like a street hustler, you know, a person who could just talk you into stuff and and was really good at talking. It's like they all loved her because they're all the same type of person, essentially, who's like a person who likes to talk money out of thin air. And then John Peters showed up in the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie as a character played by Bradley Cooper, which was like right at the time that I was like finding out he was so integral to the Heidi story. Insane performance by Cooper, by the way. Insane performance by Bradley Cooper. And what was funny also is like, I profiled Alana Haim for a magazine and I told her I was making this podcast and that John Peters was in it as a character. And she was like, oh, well, I don't know if like, she's like, I don't really know anything about the real John Peters. Like, I don't know if if that was just all an invention. Like, I don't know if Bradley Cooper was like an accurate portrayal of that guy. And I was like, oh, no, it was a documentary. It was perfect. (laughs) That's exactly You, they nailed it. That's what John Peters is like. Uh, well, speaking of personalities and talkers and people who talk money out of thin air, I was so pleased when a name I, I love to hear popped up on the podcast, Mr. Robert Evans from The Kids oh Stays in the Picture. I learned from your podcast, he essentially like embezzled the money to make this movie. Uh, which I love, which is a documentary about his life, is beautiful, is well shot, and he, I think he scammed the funds from, I think, a sequel for some dog shit movie he was supposed to be producing uh, to make the kid stays in the picture. Because of the Heidi Fly scandal, that was when he, like, fucked off forever to Palm Springs and was like, gotta go write my memoir. (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Um, but I don't know if you watched a little TV show called The Offer on Paramount Plus about the making of The Godfather. It's like not a good show, but I loved it because it was like a bad TV movie, a good bad TV movie about the making of The Godfather. It was like, you remember like the VH1 TV movies, like the MC the MC Hammer story, you know, like a TV movie. That's what this is like. That's what the offer is like. And Robert Evans is a major character in it, played by uh, Matthew Good. Like, and I actually grew to love Matthew Good's portrayal of Robert Evans. But I also just thought it, I, I loved that like all these other things came out that happened to have people from the Heidi universe that like Licorice Pizza and the offer and all these things were like, it's all one extended producer cinematic universe but we have to point out that like the offer is set in basically the olden times compared to when heidi is out here doing this thing so it is all these old men um with these very young women and heidi even though she's the the madam of this she was 28 years old when she's uh being sentenced a very very young she's so young and you know part of my the story of the podcast is about how she also just grew up in la in this time when she had these real 70s parents who kind of just like let her do whatever she wanted let her be really independent and she just had this entrepreneurial streak from birth she was a hustler from childhood because in high school she ran this babysitting ring she 
you know, figured out, like they could all make more money as babysitters if she essentially became like a booker for babysitters. And, 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 and it's just a dry run for the for the call girl ring. You know, that's, I think, what I really also fixated on was like, Heidi could have been a great producer. Yeah, like she has the exact type of personality that would make her like a great Hollywood fuckboy. But because she's like a woman, it's like not her <laughs> destiny, you know? Her destiny is to is to take those guys' money. But it is, yeah, it's like it was all consensual. Everybody had way too much money and they wanted to spend it on sex. And the really brilliant thing she did was to brand her call girl business as being high end so that these rich fuckos would be like, oh, it's the most expensive, therefore it's the best. Like clearly, if I pay the most for sex, it'll be the best sex I've ever had. And then there's like a placebo effect to that of like, yeah, it probably will be. Because you're like, wow, I paid so much money. It must be good. It, and I, these and the numbers you dropped on the show were staggering. We're talking 8K for a blowjob. If you pay 8K for a blowjob, your expectation is going to be that it's going to be the greatest blowjob of all time. It's like when she was on trial for this, it was like, but who cares if she's draining these rich assholes of their money consensually? She's not she's not scamming them. They're paying for something and she's charging them a lot and they want to be charged a lot. Like now it's like you see idiots like drop all their money on like NFTs, which like, you know, cost more and you don't come at the end. So it's like, <laughs> you know, I think you can just trick rich people into, into spending money on stuff. They think something that costs a lot is like valuable. It's not like Hollywood uh, didn't make its money back off of the high fly story. It was all over the media, on the nightly news, on all the tabloid shows. And it even appeared a bit in a fiction on Melrose Place did a Heidi Fleiss inspired storyline. And it's so funny because I, I watched high, uh, Melrose Place as a kid. And I remember the first, you know, season, I was looking at the trailer the other day. It's all about all these young people. They're out of college. They're in that weird in-between time between becoming an adult adult, and, you know, being a kid and then when your friends are your family, all that good stuff. But then by season four, it's like Kimberly's bombing Melrose Place. We got to get out of here. It's so fucking wild. And the catalyst for this, for this escalation was in fact from uh, Heidi Fleiss and them in uh, bringing in this ex uh, this Heidi Fleiss uh, storyline into the show, and then you know they had to keep ramping things up from there. Yeah, I mean, I think it was like ripped from the headlines. I think that I I love Melrose Place. I think Melrose Place is like the greatest show on earth um, because of all that stuff. But it was like it was supposed to be just sort of like Gen Xers in an apartment complex dealing with like life and love and. There's literally an episode in the first season about the L.A. riots where, like, you know, the one black character has to, like, <laughs> explain to <Right>. Andrew Shu, <laughs> you know, like, L.A. is a m fucked up place, actually. <laughs> like, um, they and they show they show real footage of, like, burned down buildings from the riots. It's it's actually crazy because um, I feel like the riots are also just like in L.A. We talk about them, but like there's no physical monuments to it. They really want people to forget it happened, you know? And I think that is also just why I wanted to resurface this story is because I do think a lot of LA's history is about like 
forget this ever happened. Forget, forget about the riots, forget about the Watts riots, you know, like, do not look into the history of this city, (laughs) because you will see all the bugs crawling out from underneath and that the bugs are the cops, you know, and that the city is founded on corruption. It's founded on police corruption. It's founded on real estate speculation, segregation, all that stuff that's in Mike Davis's city, of course, that we all know about LA. But, you know, when when a story like this happens that kind of shows the hypocrisy of the powers that be, then all the newspapers and, and TV outlets, you know, pile on to prop up the mainstream narrative that makes no sense. So with this scandal, yeah, just the way it was covered never sat right with me because I, w- I was so fixated on like, why is it illegal? Why is she the only one being punished for this? And also the fact that like all the news channels and newspapers and magazines were making money off the story, were publicizing the story and using it to to goose ratings and stuff, you know. So Melrose Place, honestly, the one non-exploitative use of the Heidi Fleiss story because Melrose <laughs> Place understands. Um, that's also funny because Gina Gershon plays the girl who like recruits her in to yeah on a Melrose Place. It's it's like a brief plot line, but yeah, it completely changed the course of the show. But I mean, Gina Gershon. I just saw Showgirls at Synespia again. Showgirls is like my favorite movie. You know, I've always been interested in just like the interiority of women who sell themselves in some way, because that's like, really, you are the pressures on to do that. If you're a woman with any kind of sexual capital to like sell yourself and like, what happens when you do that? Can you control it ever? Or is somebody else going to take advantage of you? And I like to think you can control it. I think Showgirls is like a deeply misunderstood movie. Um, it's obviously like very campy and funny and and crazy, but I also think it's like an incredibly incisive takedown of, I think it is about sexual capitalism. You know, I think it is about American sexual capitalism the way that like Starship Troopers is about like the American war machine. It's about, you know, Nomi Malone is this character who it's like she's she's originally a prostitute, but then she becomes a showgirl and she has to hide that she was a prostitute. And so it's all about like, there's like this right way to sell yourself and this wrong way to sell yourself that if you sell it at the strip club, you know, that's bad for some reason. But if you sell it as a showgirl, that's, you know, glamorous and okay. And that feels very much like the Heidi Fly story. It's like if you're sell- if you're an actress and you're, you know, a sex symbol and you're selling it on screen for producers, that's allowed. But if you're selling it on the street, for some reason that you're degrading yourself, that's not okay. You're not allowed to do that, you know, which makes no sense. And so I think Showgirls is a really incisive commentary on all that stuff. And also on the fact that, you know, that you do become treated like an object, that you are this like replaceable object in capitalism and that that happens regardless of whether you're selling sex or selling anything that you, you know, you're selling your body in capitalism two people. You're selling your brain and your body. Then you're set up to be replaced that, you know, especially if you're selling sex as a woman, that then there's like somebody hotter and younger behind you at all times threatening to push you down the stairs. And that the only way you can succeed is to push somebody else down the stairs. (laughs) You know, Showgirls, I also just, I love because it's so like lurid and I just love stuff like that. I love trashy things. I love lurid things. And that was really what I wanted to do with Heidi World was like make something that was like really fun and kind of trashy and like entertaining 
Oh, the intro we, music is so funky and fun. Oh my oh, god, thank I you. Love I looked up sexy time. sax on the library, the podcast library music, and I had this idea of like writing, like doing it like a Jackie Collins novel or like Hollywood Wives or something, you know, of like the way Melrose Place does, of using sex as the lure to trick people into learning about why sex workers need protection and rights, to trick people into being like, guess what? This is a podcast about how like sex workers need to be protected and and how s- selling sex is just like the way that our country treats it is like that we have to eradicate it, which is so crazy because it's like, first of all, that's never going to happen. And second of all, like, why is every, you know, America is just such a puritanical place wherein sex is used to sell everything and especially now with social media and again it's just like who profits off of this it's like mark zuckerberg like why would mark zuckerberg get to profit off like a hot girl's tits like the hot girl should profit but if the hot girl posts a link to her only fans on instagram she gets booted off instagram you know but only fans themselves have a profile on instagram if you give instagram money then you can have, you know, a sexual sex profile. But, you know, and if you're Kylie Jenner, you can like do whatever you want and not get booted off Instagram. But if you're like an actual sex worker who needs Instagram in order to promote yourself and you like toe this invisible line that they don't ever explain into admitting that you're there to make money for sex, then you get booted. So it's all just like in many ways, like worse than ever. It's like it's you know, people are are now reliant on the internet. And I think also what I thought was interesting about the Heidi story was like the way in which, you know, I don't want to call it like a co-op, but the the way in which they built power as a group. It was like, yeah, if you're if you're just one person working in sex work, it's it's harder than if you are in a group of sex workers who can all share information and you know, and, and again, it's like she was taking a 40% cut, which is like an agent's cut. It just, I, I don't know. It's like, yeah, we should be working harder to protect sex workers, not criminalize it and and make it harder and harder for them to do their jobs. And like one of the things I did have heard from sex workers a lot is like that brothels are like a better work environment than than a lot of other places because because of that sort of like collect collectivity and ability to kind of like work together on your podcast you talked about um how hollywood presents sex workers and there was one movie i just caught the other day on tv the end of pretty woman and you mentioned that the original ending of the movie which becomes clear when you watch it and just makes the most sense is that as you mentioned like you can only climb this ladder uh, by taking someone else's spot and you're always replaceable the lower on the total class system you are and the movie ends of course with Richard Gere uh, walking off into the sunset with um, Julia Roberts this uh, sex worker who he has decided to uh, I guess uh, become in, get involved in a relationship with even though he's this high powered you know I guess 
stockbroker or something. And it's just this kind of fairy tale of him sweeping her up off her feet. They get, they meet cute, they get together, they stay together. And, but the original ending was that he leaves her and Hollywood, I guess that was not Hollywood enough of an ending. And so these, again, these men who do use sex workers and use them poorly, uh, I don't know if the actual specific producers of, uh, pretty woman are involved in any of this but in general like they put out this industry that uses and abuses sex workers puts out this movie of a very rich guy treating a sex worker incredibly well and basically helping her win the lottery it's still presented from the point of view of the client rather than the sex worker because what's funny about pretty woman is it's like yeah she's just doing the girlfriend experience on him you know like <laughs> um that was shocking at the time it was like I, I, and, oh god I rem- i'm remembering like the commercials in the trailer and it's like did you know that a sex worker could be smart and funny right? and worth talking like, to she's a person no i mean it's like there is like the hooker with the heart of gold thing is such a such a cliche in hollywood pretty woman is such a crazy movie because it was supposed to be like this gritty drama and it was it was totally based on like oh you know how there's like street walkers on hollywood boulevard like what if one of them dated a rich guy but you know the reality was that like they were dating rich guys and that the rich guys were a lot of them were obsessed with kind of like my fair ladying the escorts into like dates they could bring out to to fancy parties and so don simpson famously liked to like introduce his dates and say that they were like a brain surgeon but it's all just like it's like this crazy fantasy of that this beautiful woman would ever like be with you if you weren't paying her lots of money Just from knowing sex workers who've been in long relationships with rich guys like that, it's like the idea that the sex worker, you know, would like fall in love with the rich guy is like, that's the rich guy's fantasy, you know? (laughs) 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 And that's part of what's so crazy about it is it's like, I do think people convince themselves that like it could become real. And it's like, no, man, you're paying her and that's what she likes about you. But also like when you just think about how fucked up and weird and transactional like regular heterosexuality is based on the idea that like women are supposed to like find a man who will pay for everything and then just be like you know a beautiful helpmate and Heidi has has a quote where she talks about like so if I were just dating I would be expected to have sex for the cost of you know a brunch you know, um, and, and with a guy who I may not like either and may not want anything to do with and don't have a real choice in the matter because my options are limited. But if I if I go over here and I'm I'm making, you know, four thousand dollars to do the same thing, what's the harm in that? For sure. And I think she had like a very cynical viewpoint about men sort of from being like a dork, you know, which I uh obviously relate to i think it's like when you've been a woman when you've been like a nerdy girl that like you feel that felt like nobody wanted to fuck them you know it's like the way in which she tried to take control over over sex in her life and make make herself sexually desirable to everybody also made a huge impression on me as like a young weird jewish girl in la because i was like wow, she's certainly not like the traditional bombshell that I've been told like every man wants. She's not like Marilyn Monroe. 
she is like this total like weird Jewish girl, you know, but she has such charisma. And I think she's like, you know, very beautiful in 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 her, you know, in just like in a very specific way. What always kind of takes away from this idea that like cap in capitalism that you're just replaceable is like when you encounter women that like can't be replaced that are so specific and clearly valuable in their specificity. I love women who like manage to get around the sort of like disposability that we're told we all have. I love Elvira, Angeline. I love like old showgirls. I just love them. <laughs> the pressure to be hot and just turn it hardens you into a a diamond. <laughs> yeah, and I think just the idea of like can you take that that pressure to be hot and instead of just rejecting it and being like, I'm not going to give in to the pressure, use it, use it to your own advantage in some way. And, and I don't know. I mean, that's I think it's like it's all very open ended. Can you sell yourself ethically under capitalism? You know, not really because it's capitalism. But like, can you do the best you can within that system to juice it and make all the money you can? Yeah, absolutely. So I think also the way that she was making money and, you know, the real issue wasn't that she was selling sex. It was that she wasn't giving kickbacks to the LAPD, as all her predecessors had done. Yeah. So let's talk about this LAPD operation just for a bit, because this was an operation. Uh, there's a quote in the show where they were the LAPD had, was almost like it was like a sting. They had people undercover using fake Japanese accents to bust again a high priced you know, call girl, not one where they're hearing allegations of human trafficking, even though I think they wanted to charge her with that. But like, uh, you know, st where the clients were these high priced individuals. And the only reason they're investigating it is because uh, they aren't getting these kickbacks backs. And you mentioned on the show, there's like murders happening around, you know, Heidi that the LAPD does not solve, does not look at, that don't have anything to do with her. Right, or like her, her friend business, got but, murdered. Well, that was, you know, I think she knew already just that the cops were useless because um, if you grow up in LA, you, you learn that certainly pretty early on that the cops are racist, that the cops are corrupt, you know. You have to be pretty dumb, I guess, to to fall for the LAPD propaganda that they're like the greatest, the greatest cops in the world. Um, even though they do have a big publicity machine for that. But I just think it's like also after the LA riots, which demonstrated, you know, not only that the cops were completely corrupt, but that the people, the city, people could overpower the cops that there's more of us than there are of them which is like the thing they really don't want us to know and that the sort of whole surveillance state apparatus with all the helicopters and shit you know the nightmarish militarized police there's still more of us than there are of them and and i think we saw that again in 2020 that it was like they don't want people to take over public space in la they don't want people in the streets but like when because whenever people are in the streets it's like the people are are the actually powerful ones. So they don't want anyone to know that. And so the OJ trial and the Heidi trial seemed like these twin show trials to be like, the LAPD are heroes. The LAPD are fighting crime and everybody loves them and they're busting beloved uh, football player murderer OJ Simpson and also... Uh, 
high class call girl, madam, Heidi Fleiss. And then shocker, people sided with OJ and Heidi Fleiss. And, you know, I think the OJ thing is one of the first like extremely complex things I had to encounter as a person, you know, where you're like, yeah, he did it, but the cops are fucking racist, you know? <laughs> the cops are racist, and it's like they end the prosecution, botched the case as well. I'm so glad you mentioned OJ because, yes, that is the role I play on Heidi World. And again, thank you so much uh, for inviting me to do it. And part and the part I play is uh, OJ Simpson attempting to justify uh, some of his abusive behavior towards Nicole because, and this is a big thing he was always about. He was like, there are people over at the house that he didn't like at his uh, at Nicole's house, at his kid's house. And that's why he kept coming over there angry and screaming because oh, there were quote unquote drug people there and high flies girls there and no real evidence of that that I've heard uh, it, at that being true. I even wasn't doing any cocaine during this period. Yes. Um, you know what? I mean, not to justify OJ, obviously, this is just a side, a side story that didn't Heidi world was so jam packed. There was stuff that I didn't put in because it felt too digressive, even for me, but lots of interesting stuff that uh, I learned. One of the things I did find was that there was a little bit of truth to the story that OJ was pushing about how there was like a cocaine syndicate with waiters in Los Angeles. What? Do you know what I'm I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes, I do know that. Do you remember how he kept being like Ron Goldman is a Coke dealer and like he's part of this like restaurant and, you know, there's like people dealing Coke. That turns out to be a little bit true. I don't think Ron Goldman was necessarily involved, but and also that doesn't justify OJ's abuse or murder, obviously. Um, But there I did find some L.A. Times stuff about these, you know, sort of restaurant that there were there was Coke being run through high end restaurants, which is also super not surprising, you know? Yes. Because I think that's like what the whole podcast is about kind of is how there's like this underground that like undergirds everything in society, but we're not supposed to like look at, you know, not supposed to talk about, yeah, that the cops are getting kickbacks, that the cops know who's dealing drugs and know a lot of this stuff and simply will, you know, shut up if if a rich person is paying them off. You know, a lot of the worst crimes in Los Angeles are, are are done by developers who just, you know, are completely in the pocket. Every, everybody's in the pocket of the developers in LA. So just looking at the hypocrisy, looking at sort of the the small group of people who have money and power and media clout who attempt to control the narrative and the way in which the narrative gets away from those people. Because that's what I thought was fascinating about OJ and Heidi. It was just like, no, those people can't control the narrative. And honestly, both Heidi and OJ were so good at sort of controlling the narrative themselves from within the trial, from being like, hey, you know what? There's more to this story than you're hearing. Obviously, OJ, a really bad guy. Um, But also like Heidi, just like an incredibly charismatic talker, you know, and just so charismatic uh that it's kind of impossible not to you know not to listen to him when he's when he's trying to convince you have you heard about the vince mcmahon situation because i feel like there's a lot of parallels vince mcmahon was actually on trial at this same time in 94 
the steroid trial uh, that he was experiencing. And, and a lot of people think that part of the reason he was able to get away with it and get off there is because these two trials were much more salacious. And wow. Took- I know. I don't know that. But it's like I also found out there were like other there were like five other things happened at the same exact moment, which is part of also I had this idea that it was like this flashpoint in tabloid media towards like you know, a salacious celebrity story beats everything else. And I feel like we just saw this also with like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing. It's like everybody who was posting about Ukraine just like stopped and was like, oh, a famous person's on trial. And then there's just all the like this, the seeding of stuff online that, you know, watching how dumb people are that like when there's like AstroTurf stuff, then people just start repeating what's been AstroTurfed. Like, I think that just happens with the regular media, too, where it's like, they're just like, here's a narrative, here's a narrative, here's a narrative. And then people start saying, like, yes, that's the narrative. Um, But, you know, I I just felt like that never worked with the Heidi Fleiss story because it never made any sense to me. And I had never seen it looked at from a pro-sex work angle. And it just seemed very, like, obvious to me that somebody should do it. And that it just felt very, you know, timely because of the way sex workers' rights are under attack right now. And just wanting to kind of like bring that discussion back up of, yeah, just because the 90s too is this time when it's like we were allegedly turning towards progressiveness, um, but clearly nothing stuck and nothing really changed, especially in big institutions. Tell me about Vince McMahon. I don't know, really. I, I know he's a bad guy. I know he's a bad guy and that he's a meme. A meme that I oh, have used. Oh, oh, this is this is all right. I'm gonna try to give the top-down, very fast version of it. So, Vincent Kennedy, man, founder of the WWE, has been recently accused of sexual harassment and abuse of his workers, including some of the wrestlers. Uh, this was revealed because his board internal investigation in, by his board into these massive NDAs that he's had to pay uh pay essentially hush money to cover up some of this stuff and this also included another top executive john laurinitis who mcmahon apparently met a woman at his condo hired her to the company as a paralegal and but primarily to have a sexual relationship with her and then when his buddy john laurinitis got a promotion at the company he passed he transferred her to his department and the relationship with uh john laurinitis picked up from there laurinitis was returning because to that position he had previously been demoted for having a sexual relationship with a talent and having to sign another nda payoff as well his position of course was head of talent relations meaning the actual person that hires and fires people in the company and the person that vince mcmahon said besides him you would go to if you were a wwe wrestler uh, and were facing sexual harassment on the job there's been all sorts of Rumors about him having sex on his private jet with his workers. Allegedly, uh, you mentioned Donahue on the podcast. There's an episode of Donahue where Vince McMahon is accused of allowing rampant sexual harassment and assault in his locker room by some of the uh, top executives in uh, WWE. And even, and we know this now is a fact, there was a ring announcer named Mel Phillips who would abuse children. These ring, ring boys... Uh, that would help set up the ring all across the country. He would sexually abuse children 
at WWE events. There, We know this is true because there is videotape of it. The FBI had the videotape, but as I said, the aforementioned steroid trial took precedent and they wanted to use Mel Phillips as a witness against McMahon because drugs were easier to prosecute than what was presented as a homosexual sex scandal because the victims were uh, men and male boys and you can even the media coverage kind of laughed at some of this stuff because Jesus you know you didn't Christ. talk about uh, gay it, it's, and all of this is on national TV back then you, you can see Larry King grilling Vince McMahon about uh, about having a pedophile on his roster and we now know that mcmahon hired this guy after his father had fired him for knowing that he had he had something weird going on with the kids Vince mcmahon swore up at oh my god it just sounds like uh joe paterno was that the guy who's the guy oh it's joe Oh yeah, it's Joe Paterno with Weinstein, because also McMahon is accused of sexually assaulting a referee around this time as well. This was also on national TV in the news, but the steroid trial covered that up because the media found that more interesting, and then the media found OJ more interesting than that. I it mean, is, look, I'm not wow. saying every institution that uh, men have ever built is uh, a, just a front for... Uh for rape and stuff, but a lot of Majority. them are. A lot of them are. And I think it's like the more powerful you are and the more, you know, the more the name means, the more the company means, the more you can get away with that shit because you're like, well, no one will, no one will ever believe you. They're going to listen. They're going to keep watching WWE. Yes. Uh, and the... And the media will help cover up because they have massive media deals. Yeah, There were two other trials at the same time as the Heidi trial and the OJ trial. And they were the Rick James trial for kidnapping, um, which I feel like people also kind of forget about that Rick James. Mostly portrayed as a joke uh, in the media at the time. Yeah. And like, again, like, I think Rick James is a musical genius. I think he is. You know, I came, I come out of Heidi world, but just in general, like, I have a lot of sympathy for people struggling with addiction and for people like Rick James, who grew up in, you know, abject poverty and then suddenly had a lot of money. Does that mean you should kidnap and rape people? No. Um, but the other trial, which again, speaking of systems of exploitation, that like over, that trumped Heidi, but also even OJ a little bit, was that the Michael Jackson scandal broke. Oh, yes. At the same time. And, you know, I think Michael Jackson also, it's like clearly a person who was exploited in his childhood and then became an adult who exploited and abused people, perpetuated a cycle of expo exploitation and abuse on other kids. Um, but the way that he was protected and the way that that story was spun was so crazy because it did completely buy him like another 20 years of oh yeah being michael jackson and uh you know anthony pelicano who is played by jack allison in the show was this fixer who did this for all these guys um anybody who had a story that they didn't want to come out you know, there were just people that were whose job it was, was to go harass people, pressure people, pressure them to take a payoff and, and just fuck off. Um, but also like pressure the, uh, the supposedly legitimate news outlets like The Hollywood Reporter and Variety into not running those stories, you know, 
for like a trade-off. Like we'll give you early access to the, you know, Michael Jackson when he unveils that big weird statue. <laughs> yeah, you get, you show that the the deal making Heidi takes advantage of this as well as like, oh, if the media has some dirt on you that they're gonna put out, you can say, well, how about I give you an exclusive interview and you keep that dirt a secret, and that's just. Wow, wow stuff. And Heidi was not someone who had a lot of power or money. So imagine how easy it is for some people who are, you know, millionaires and billionaires. Well, look at how easy it was for Johnny Depp to essentially just like buy, buy his, his fake innocence, you know, to buy bots to convince everybody that he was like a hero, which is also like insane because he's a psychopath and a loser. But the way you can kind of, especially with fame, especially if somebody's famous, it's like people have this weird, they must be better than other people in some way. Um, and obviously the Johnny Depp trial is setting a horrible precedent because now everybody else is going to do it. I think Brad Pitt is going to take Angelina to trial probably. It just seems like this insane way for people with fame and money to try to manipulate public opinion and they're all crazy narcissists so they're all like i want to be vindicated in a public forum as you know a hero and right and and show everybody that my ex is like a stupid bitch and uh take advantage of you know media cycle media's obsession with celebrity to to do that um so yeah, Heidi wasn't famous until the scandal broke and she was still kind of more notorious. You know, she, she didn't come from a famous family. Her father was this pediatrician to the stars, but not known outside LA. Um, I just also thought she was a genius at manipulating the media, you know, at, at realizing that she could use the media to kind of get people to her side or to get people to to see, you know, a little bit of like what she'd been trying to do. Um, and it was just crazy to me how much how much text there was of her talking about it at the time, telling people how she felt about it at the time and saying, this is crazy, this is fucked up. And then when I got to the part about the jurors realizing it was fucked up, it was just like she was so railroaded throughout the whole process and then sent to jail. And it was also the LAPD could be like, look, we have cleaned up Los Angeles. We put oh, finally. One woman who sold sex to a bunch of rich guys who didn't get in any trouble, we put her in jail, and now L.A. is great. Nothing bad is ever going to happen here again. Um, yeah, and just the way in which those stories were used to kind of be like, look over here. Don't pay attention to the fact that we haven't dealt with any of the issues that caused the L.A. riots, such as horrible racist policing, corruption in the city, uh, powerful men uh, taking advantage of less powerful people, just everything. You know, it was like truly, and the way that, that white liberals responded to the riots was the same way they responded to the OJ trial, which was like, this cannot be happening. Surely, Surely money will make this like go, you know, and and I made a mix a few years ago that was all these songs from around the era of the L.A. riots. Um, and they're all really funny because there are a lot of like boomer rock stars being like, don't burn down the city. 
<laughs> we're so afraid you're the city's gonna get burnt down there's like a tom petty song called peace in la called oh, we need no. peace in la um there's a bruce springsteen song that actually like samples tv coverage of the riots um it's that song 57 channels and nothing on there's like a remix version of it that's like a oj remix of 57 basically channels. i'll send it to you it's like my oj i made an oj years oh mix my <laughs> with my brother because <laughs> we just you know we grew up in la in this time and it was like just all these things happened back to back of like the riots the earthquake the oj trial the heidi trial menendez brothers there were just um things happening constantly that drew attention to sort of how how actually uh, vulnerable the ecosystem of power is that they want you to think is like completely invulnerable that you cannot take on the powers that be in Los Angeles because you know what you fucking can Heidi did Heidi, Heidi did and I want and I want vindication for Heidi because Heidi you know I do think also it's like she is alive she lives in the desert with her parrots um her macaws you know i think she's a survivor and the fact that she is just alive and you know still has a really good sense of humor about every you know especially about herself she's really like her own worst enemy um you know that to me just counters this narrative of like that sex work is bad and it leads you know you can't just nobody gets out alive it's like you know, she got out alive, she went to jail, she got out, and she like lived to tell the tale. And it's such a it's such like a Wild West kind of story, because it does just show again, just how, how all these things work together in conjunction to form how power actually works. Um, and, and yeah, and, and just ahead of her time on so many things on branding on making a t shirt line. But also on on just realizing that like that sex workers could build power with each other, you know, that if there's if you're in a group, you can you can help each other out and take care of each other. And and everything in her life was kind of inspired by this desire to be in a UCLA sorority that she like went to a party at once. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that like sex work is like sisterhood, you know, obviously she was in charge, so it wasn't like she wasn't not in a position of power over people but um yeah i mean sex uh sex sells as she said absolutely well you can hear more about the story and there's so much this is again one of my favorite podcasts heidi world you can find it absolutely anywhere you uh listen to podcasts at uh molly thank you so much for joining us on struggle session where can people find you Thank you so much for having me. I love the show. And I'm, I really want to hear more about the Vince McMahon stuff because I think wrestling is so interesting. People that are into wrestling, I love hearing about it because it's such a microcosm of Hollywood. It's like porn. It's like another Hollywood. I mean, yeah, even now. Yeah, absolutely. With its own star system and its own, you know, I love it. Uh, you can find me at Molly Lambert on Twitter and at Molly underscore Lambert on Instagram. All right, folks, have a struggle session. Have a good one. Peace.
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.